there he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 11 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for January 11th, 2006. I am your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on my journey through the world of short Masonic educational papers. Many of these papers have been presented in my lodge, King George Lodge Number 59, in Calgary, Canada. If you have any other pieces of Masonic education which you think might be useful in this podcast, please feel free to email me. As well, if you have any ideas, thoughts, or feedback, my email address is podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com. I look forward to hearing from you as we journey through the digital library of Masonic education. I hope today things are sounding a bit better. I managed to slide a new microphone past the Household Finance Committee, namely my wife. And in a wild moment of synchronicity, after setting up the new mic in my luxurious basement studio, I found an email had arrived suggesting that I might want to consider this very microphone. Today's piece comes from Joseph Newton, who in the early 1900s wrote a number of short topics for the Masonic Service Association of the United States. And this piece is in regards to a phrase that we use so often in our lodge meetings and at festive boards. The term is so motor be. And so we'll just jump right into this one and get going on it and we'll just see where it takes us on the uh, on the educational spin of things. How familiar the phrase is. No lodge is ever opened or closed in due form without using it. Yet how few of us know how old it is much less what a deep meaning it has in it. Like so many old and lovely things, it is so near to us that we do not see it. As far back as we can go in the annals of the craft, we find this old phrase. Its form betrays its age. The word moat is an Anglo-Saxon word derived from the anomalous verb moten. Chaucer used the exact phrase in the same sense in which we use it, meaning, so may it be. It is found in the Regis poem, the oldest document of the craft, just as we use it today. As everyone knows, it is in the Masonic form of the ancient Amen, which echoes through the ages, gathering meaning and music, as it goes until it is one of the richest and most haunting of words. At first, only a sign of assent, on the other part, either of an individual or of an assembly, to the words of prayer or praise, it has come to stand as a sentinel at the gateway of silence. When we have uttered all that we can utter, when our poor words seem like ripples on the bosom of the unspoken, somehow this familiar phrase gathers up all that is left, our dumb yearnings, our deepest longings, our bears that are aloft to the one who understands. In some strange way it seems to speak for us in a very into the very ear of God the things for which words were never made. So naturally it is in a place of honor among us, at the marriage altar, it speaks its blessing as the young love walks towards the bliss or sorrow of hidden years. It stands beside the cradle when we dedicate our little ones to the holy life, mingling its benedictions with our vows. At the graveside, it utters its sad response to the shadowy Amen, which death pronounces over our friends. When, in our turn, we see the end of the road and would make at, la at last will and testament, leaving our earnings and savings to those whom we love. The old legal phrase asks us to repeat after it, In the name of God, Amen. And with us, as within the generatosius of his dream, the last word we hear when the voices of earth grow faint and the silence of God covers us is the old Amen. So, mote it be. 
How impressively it echoes through the Book of Holy Law. We hear it in the Psalms, as chorus answers to choruses, where it is sometimes reduplicated for emphasis. In the talks of Jesus with his friends, it has a striking use, hidden in the English version. The oft-repeated phrase, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if rightly translated means, Amen, Amen, I say unto you. Later, in the epistles of Paul, the word Amen becomes the name of Christ, who has the Amen of God to the faith of man. So, too, in the lodge, at opening, at closing, and in the hour of initiation, no mason enters upon any great or important undertaking without invoking the aid and blessing of deity. And he ends his prayer with the old phrase, So mote it be, which is another way of saying, The will of God be, be done, or whatever be the answer of God to his prayer, so be it, because it is wise and right. What then is the meaning of this old phrase, so interwoven with all of our Masonic lore, simple, tender, haunting? It has two meanings for us everywhere, in the church or in the lodge. First, it is the ascent of man to the way and will of God, ascent to his commands, ascent to his providence, even when a tender, terrible stroke of death takes from us one much loved and leaves us forlorn. Still, somehow, we must say, so it is, so be it. He is a wise man, a brave man, who, baffled by the woes of life, when disaster follows fast and follows faster, can nevertheless accept his lot as part of the will of God and say, though it may almost choke him to say it, so mote it be. It is not blind submission nor dumb resignation, but a wise reconciliation to the will of the Eternal. The other meaning of the phrase is even more wonderful. It is the ascent of God to the aspiration of man. Man can bear much, anything perhaps, if he feels that God knows, cares, and feels for him and with him. If God says, Amen, so it is, to our faith and hope and love, it links our perplexed meanings and helps us to see, however dimly, or in the glass darkly, that there is a wise and good purpose in life, despite its sorrow and suffering, and that we are not at the mercy of fate or at the whim of chance. Does God speak to man, confirming his faith and hope? If so, how? Indeed, yes. God is not the great I was, but the great I am, and he is neither deaf nor dumb. In him we live and move and have our being. He speaks to us in nature, in the moral law, and in our own hearts, if we have ears to hear him. But he speaks most clearly in the book of the holy law, which lies open upon our altar. Nor is that all. Some of us hold that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, in life the loveliest ever lived among men, showing us what life is what it means, and to what fine issues it ascends when we do the will of God on earth as it is done in heaven. No one of us but grows wistful when he thinks of the life of Jesus, however far we fall below it. Today, men are asking the question, does it do any good to pray? The man who actually prays does not ask such a question. As well, ask if it does a bird any good to sing, or a flower to bloom. Prayer is natural, instinctive in man. We are made so. Man is made for prayer, as sparks ascend seen in the sun. He would not need religious faith if objects of it did not exist. Are prayers ever answered? 
Yes, always. As Emerson taught us a long time ago, who rises from prayer a better man, his prayer is answered, and that is as far as we need to go. The deepest desire, the ruling motive of a man, is his actual prayer. It shapes his life after its form and color. In this sense, all prayer is answered. And that is why we ought to be careful what we pray for, because in the end, we always get it. What, then, is the good of prayer? It makes us repose to the unknown with hope. It makes us ready for life. It is a recognition of laws and a threat of our conjunction with them. It is not the purpose of the prayer to beg or make God do what we want to done. Its purpose is to bring us to the will of God, which is greater and wiser than our will. It is not the use of God, but to be used by Him in the service of His plan. Can man, by prayer, change the will of God? No and yes. True prayer does not wish or seek to change the larger will of God, which involves in its sweep and scope the duty and destiny of humanity. But it can and does change the will of God concerning us, because it changes our will and attitude towards Him, which is a vital thing in prayer for us. For example, if a man is living a wicked life, we know that the will of God will be for him. All evil ways have been often tried, and we have known what the end is, just as we know the answer to a problem in geometry. But if a man who is living wickedly changes his ways of living and his inner attitude, he changes the will of God, if not his will, at least his intentions. That is, he attains what even the divine will could not give him, or do for him unless it had been affected by his will and prayer. The place of prayer in masonry is not perfunctory. It is not a mere matter of form or and rote. It is vital and profound. As a man enters a lodge, as an initiate, prays, prayer is offered for him to God in whom he puts his trust. Later, in a crisis of his initiation, he must pray for himself, orally and mentally, as his heart may elect. It is not just a ceremony, it is a basic in the faith and spirit of masonry. Still later, in a scene which no mason ever forgets, when the shadow is darkest, and the most precious thing a mason can desire or seek seems lost, in the perplexity and despair of the lodge, a prayer is offered. As recorded in our monitors, it is a mosaic of Bible words, in which the grim facts of life and death are set forth in stark reality. An appeal is made to the pity and light of God. It is a truly great prayer to join in which is to place ourselves in the very hands of God, as all must do in the end, trust His will and way, following where no path is into the soft and fascinating darkness which men call death. And the response of the Lodge to that prayer, as to all others offered at its altar, is the old challenging phrase, So mote it be. Brother, don't be ashamed to pray, as you are taught in the Lodge and the Church. It is a part of the sweetness and sanity of life, refreshing the soul and making clear the mind. There is more wisdom in a whispered prayer than in all the libraries of the world. It is our, not our business to instruct God. He knows what things we have need, need of before we ask Him. He does not need our prayer, but we do, if only to make us acquainted with the best friend we have. The greatest of all teachers of the soul left us a little liturgy called the Lord's Prayer. He told us to use it each for himself in the closet when the door is shut and the din and hum and litter of the world is outside. Try it, brother. It will sweeten your life. 
make its load lighter, its joy brighter, and the ways of duty plainer. Two tiny prayers have floated down to us from ages agone, which are worth remembering, one by a great saint, and the other by two brothers. Grant me, Lord, ardently to, to desire, wisely, to study, rightly to understand, and to perfect and to fulfill that which pleaseth thee. The second is after the manner. May two brothers enjoy and serve thee together. So we live today, that we may be worthily to live tomorrow. So mote it be. Well, that wraps up our, this episode of the Digital Freemason. Thanks for listening. Again, I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our time together. If you'd like a transcript of this podcast, please feel free to visit our website at www.kingeorgelodge.com. If you have any comments or ideas for further podcasts, please keep them coming to podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com. As well, we've just recently set up a frapper map, so if you want to visit our website and put a little pin in the map to show where you've been listening to, that would be greatly appreciated. I think we're sitting at about 11 now, and one off the North American content continent so if there's any more of you out there that are, are off the continent or even on the continent by all means get in there and uh, add your name and we'd look forward to uh, seeing that list grow so until next week take care and i hope you have a wonderful week <laughs>